Good morning, Crossway. Uh, good afternoon. Good, good morning. Uh, it's always a privilege to be able to share God's Word uh, with you guys here. Uh, so going into junior high uh, was a confusing time for me, as I'm sure many, for many of you as well. One of the first memories I have of seventh grade uh, at Cedar Lane in Hacienda Heights was on the first day of school, I remember walking around lonely and, I was, and just scared, right? This was going from first to second, and everyone was passing by. <clears throat> and I distinctly remember I saw my friend from afar. His name was Muhammad, and he was walking by, and he didn't see me. It was perfect because in elementary school, we would creep up behind each other and grab each other by the neck and go, you're terminated, right? It's kind of embarrassing, but it's like, you know, Terminator, the movie back then was kind of big back then, so like, you're Terminator, right? And then, you know, the person who would do it, they would turn back and go, oh, man, you got me, yeah, and then I'm going to get you next time, and then, you know, we would be walking down the hallways in elementary school doing that to each other, like, you're Terminator, right? And so I saw him. I was like, oh, man, he's not going to expect this because, you know, it's the whole summer. I'm sure he doesn't even think this is going to happen. I'm going to get him, creeping behind him, and grab his neck, and say, you're Terminated. And I'll never forget his face. He turned around, and he's like, like, what are you doing? And I was so confused, right? I was like, this is our thing, you know? Like, uh, I got you. And he was like, wow, what? And he just walked away. And I was like, what's going on right now? I'm not going to terminate him anymore. That's weird. And that's when I realized that junior high was a completely different beast. I was like, what is this place? Where are we? You know, and all of a sudden, you know, my whole reality started to change, you know. All of a sudden, I started caring about what I wore, you know. My pants couldn't be more baggier. I had to get bigger and bigger and bigger pants until I could probably fit all in one pant leg. But it still wasn't big enough. You know, all of a sudden, in sixth grade, we were running away from girls, and all of a sudden, now you're supposed to be pursuing girls. And I was like, what alternate reality is this, right? It had its own set of priorities, own set of goals, and I had to learn it as I, you know, went through seventh grade and eighth grade. And I share the silly story because in some way, in some silly way, without the chasing the girls and the baggy pants, this is how the early church was when Paul was writing the the letter to Colossae. Minus the pimples and the changing voices and all that stuff, right? Let me explain. When when these people in in Colossae came to know Jesus Christ, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the other believers started to tell them, hey, there's this church that you have to be a part of. And you have to understand, they're like, church, what is a church? I have no idea. There was no church previous, so there's no recollection of what a church is supposed to be. And they're like, you're supposed to be a, be a part of a church, and this is how you're supposed to act. And, this is a, and there was a whole new, they were entering into junior high. It was a whole new alternate reality with different values and goals and dreams and, and things that you were supposed to pursue, right? If we look at chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, sit, uh, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, you've now died with Christ. You know, your sins are dead. Now you're raised with Christ, and you have a new life. And now this new life is a new reality. There's new uh, desires, and new values, and new goals 
new things that we're supposed to prioritize and pursue. So he goes down and explains, hey, that old life, you need to put it to death. You need to put it away, right? In verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. He says, you're pu- you put all that off. That's the old life. That's the elementary school life. But in junior high life, in the new reality, as believers, here is how you're supposed to live, verse 12 and on. And this is, these are the resolutions that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In verse 16, this is where we're going to land on. Let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So these are the new values. You're supposed to put away uh, sexual morality, covetousness, passion, purity, evil desire, anger, wrath. And now he says, that's the old life, but this new life, kindness, humility, compassion, forgiving one another. This is the new life as the body of believers that you are to pursue, the new values and new ideas, ideals. And the one that I wanted to really focus on today, and I think this is really the crux of the entire passage, is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the blueprint for how we are supposed to live, right? The word of Christ is, shows us what are the values, what are the goals that we're supposed to pursue. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Basically, these new Christians, this new church that's coming together, he says, if you want to know how to navigate your life. If you want to know where you need to be going, what you want to pursue, what the new goals are for this new life that you've been given, you need to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, let's break that down. What does it mean to dwell, to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly? All right, let's first start. There's two metaphors. The first one is the idea of dwelling, to dwell, right? It's not that we're dwelling in the Word of Christ. It's the Word of Christ is dwelling in us. And what it's saying is that it's making a home in us. That the Word of Christ has come into our lives, into our home, and living in the master bedroom. It's the owner, and it, and it leads and influences all that we say and do and think. He's the master of the house. He has dwelt in our lives. He fills our language and our speech. He informs what we think and how to think. It's the Word of Christ that influences our actions for how we should live. The Word of Christ dwells in us and leads us and teaches us how we are to live. But not only that, it dwells in us richly. The, the metaphor is somewhat something that is extravagant, that there is a surplus, that there is an overabundance that's overflowing in riches. It just spills over that you're so saturated and deep in God's Word 
that it begins to overflow. What that means is that, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know how sometimes you're doing your quiet time and you're reading the Bible, and at that point you're just like, this passage has no relevance to me. I have no idea why I need to know, you know, why there's 144,000 men fighting, you know, and all this stuff, and you're just like, this makes no sense to me. But then two weeks later down the line, something happens in your life and it clicks and you're like, oh yeah, I read that two weeks ago and then all of a sudden it's just so relevant. This is the idea of it being richly saturated, right? The word of God is dwelling in your life so richly and it's so overflowing in your life that at the moment that you need it, you know, when you're stressed out and you're anxious and you're, you're like, man, I don't know how to handle this, you're immediately hit with scripture and, and, and a passage that says, you know, that the peace of God transcends all understanding, guard your heart and your mind, and you're able to grab that from the, the, the word of Christ that was dwelling in your heart. Or when you're filled with anger and you, the word of Christ comes, do not be angry and let the sun come down before. Or when you're discouraged and the word of Christ gives comfort. That you're so richly in the word of Christ that it comes out naturally and it, it helps guide and lead our life and it's able to comfort and speak to us at that right moment. You know, as we reflect on that, as we talk about that, you know, it's just a moment for us to step back and just even evaluate our own lives, right? Do we allow the word of Christ to dwell in our lives richly? Do we? I mean, it, do we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us, make a home in us, or are we, on the other hand, like someone that allows the word of Christ to just be a tenant? Someone that is a guest. They're Airbnb, Airbnb it. At one point there, you know, when you come to church, it's great, you know, hearing the word, you're saturating yourself with the word of Christ for a few hours, and then they have to leave, right? It's not a permanent stay. When you go off into the workplace or you go somewhere else, you're just like, oh, I don't remember what the word of Christ says. Or are we richly saturated in the word of Christ? Or is it scarce? Are we frugal where we're just like, oh, you know what? When I go on Instagram, there's that inspirational Bible quote. That's enough for me. You know, that's all I need to supply myself. Where are we? You know, how, how can we as a body of believers grow to the point where we're so saturated in God's word that we're richly seeking it out, that we hear it even the times when we're living in our lives? What's really interesting about this passage is that, you know, we can end this sermon and just say, okay, now you guys need to go out and read the Bible, you need to memorize scripture, you need to obey it, and that would be a sermon in itself, right? But for whatever reason, Paul, the Apostle Paul here, says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and he tells you how to do it. This is how you dwell in the word of Christ richly. But he doesn't say read the Bible, he doesn't say obey it. He says something else. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, namely, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. For today, we're going to focus on this idea of teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And next week, we're going to cover the rest. But teaching and admonishing, that's an interesting statement, right? Because you would think, if I need to dwell in the word of Christ richly, or if the word of Christ is going to dwell in me richly, I should read it. But here it's saying, no, you need to teach it. You need to admonish people. You need to correct people when they're wrong and even rebuke them. Then when you do that, he says, 
you're dwelling in the word of Christ richly. And I thought about it, and I was like, how does that work? And I think what he's getting at is, you know, when you're at a point when you're teaching someone, when you're correcting someone, you've so saturated yourself and convicted yourself, and so convicted and convinced of that scripture, of that passage, that you've immersed yourself in it to the point where you can teach it to others, to the point where you're even willing to stand for something and correct someone if they're wrong because you believe in that passage. And what's more, uh, uh, from the bigger picture, what I wanted to share from this is that I think what Paul's getting at is that even the word of Christ, it is not just a private matter of faith. It is a communal aspect of faith. That it's not just you read your Bible, you grow in it, and you memorize it, you keep it to heart, and you're like, oh, wow, that's really great for me. But the word of Christ is meant to be taught and admonished and shared with the body of believers. It's a communal aspect. And I think he's getting at that specific point throughout all of chapter 3. Like, if we reread the passage that we just read uh, about putting on and putting off, what we'll see is over 90% of all the little characteristics that he calls us to do, they're relational, right? In verse 8, he says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. These are relational issues. Then verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing uh, with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. All of these are communal commands, right? What's really cool is that in verse 16, when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that you in the Greek is a plural. You know, you, you don't see it in, in uh, the English because it's, it, it doesn't have a exact equal. But it would be, let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, in all of us. Not just the pastor, you know, sharing and teaching, but in every single member of the church. That this responsibility to teach and to correct and admonish is something that he's called the entire church to do. We are responsible for one another. You know, I think this passage is so important for us in today's time. Because I think, especially in America with you know, individualism and all that, our, our faiths are continually being pressured to be more privatized, right? If you look at factors such as like social, socially, techno technologically, politically, all of these things, they're causing us to be more and more private in all areas of our lives. So for example, like social media, you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or whatever, and you're, you're never more connected than today, right? Than we ever were. We can know what all our friends, even high school friends, junior high friends, we know what they're all doing because we see pictures of them. And yet, this is the most alone that people have ever been. Because instead of interacting with them and having to call them and find out what they're doing, we just like their photo. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm still connected to them. I can still reach out to them. But we never do. And there's a sense of privateness. And we, 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 we fill our social need through these other avenues when they're really not real interactions. Or especially Netflix, right? You're just like, hey, do you want to hang out? And you're like, oh, I'm a little tired. I'm just going to go home. And it's just Netflix, right? And you just binge watch the whole season or something. And techno technology is 
moving us to become more and more private in our social lives. Uh, politically, you know, we're told to keep our faith out of politics. Many Christians uh, are, I don't want to say that we're persecuted because that does a disservice to people who are actually persecuted for the faith, but they're harassed, you know, on Facebook, whatever it is, if you say something and the wrong people get a hold of it, you're harassed for what you believe. You, and what that's uh, subconsciously telling you is, hey, keep that to yourself. That's great and all what you believe, but keep that to yourself. That's only for you. But it's not just the external pressures, right? There's a little bit of us, too. You know, as an introvert, I think that's, that's just right down my alley. Like, it's easy for me to keep my faith private, to keep the word of Christ dwelling in me private. Because it's comfortable. It's just easier to do. It's harder and more, you know, it takes a lot of work to go out and share it. And along with that, you know, the church, I mean, let's be honest, we're all here good-looking and really nice people, but the church is not perfect, right? And there's people that we have to interact with that are difficult to work with. You know, it's kind of like in the workplace, you know, there's always those people, right? There's the annoying one, there's the smelly one, there's the one that uh, always, like, brags about what they did over the weekend, Oh, yeah, you know, I had a yacht, and we were in Barbados, and, you know, you're like, oh, okay, great, you know, can you go tell them over there, I'm going to do my work. And, you know, when, when your coworkers are difficult to work with, you just kind of like, dude, just get away from me, you know, like, let me just do my work. But I think all of those things, even in our personal lives, we're, we're moving towards that privatization of our own faith and our life. But it's, that's why it's all the more important to think of what Paul is teaching us here. Because even in this church, in verse 11, he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Man, this was a church with a bunch of different types of people, different opinions. You can imagine the kind of chaos that they would have. And Greeks and Jews, they were both racist towards each other. You know, they, the Jews thought they were the chosen ones, the Greeks were unholy, and the Greeks looked down on the Jews, and so there was a lot of friction there. You look at uh, the young and the old, and the, the old people are saying, man, this is not how we do, used to do church. I can't believe we're doing it like this. Oh, man, this is too progressive. And then the young people are saying, oh, my gosh, this is so old school. You know, we need to move forward with our church model, and there's this friction there. And then you have the barbarians. You know, imagine that's the worst stereotype that you could ever have. And like someone comes in, oh, that's a barbarian. You know, and imagine the type of stereotype and generalization you put on that person. And then you had the poor and the rich. And you had the, the slaves and the, and, and the owners. And imagine the kind of bitterness and resentment that's already deep-seated in that relationship before the church even started. And yet every single type of of people are coming together in this church and they're told to put off malice. They're told to put off uh, all of these things, covetousness, evil desires, impurity, and they're told to be humble. They're told to be patient with one another. They're told to put on love which binds all things together. It's so important for us to understand that we are not in this just private, privatized life. It's not enough that we come to church, we hear a message, and we go home and we think that was it. God has created the church so that we could speak and teach and admonish one another. 
We need that. You need that. All of us need that in our lives. Whether it's community groups, whether it's a group of friends that are at your church and are encouraging you, we need that in our lives. That's what makes our Christian life more whole and more full. I want to just conclude with uh, this last part. Why is this so important for us to dwell in the Word of Christ ritually? You know, the, the exhortation here is, you know, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, you know, to be saturated in it so that you can uh, turn to it even when you're having difficult situations or whatever it might be, and then also to teach and admonish and to understand that the Word of Christ is a communal aspect, that there is a communal aspect to the, to the Word of Christ, that we're to share it and teach it, not just the pastors, but every single member of the congregation. But why is that important? What, what's beneath all this? Why are we to share this? To simply put, to dwell in the Word of Christ is to let Christ Himself dwell in your heart. For Christ to be your manager, your master of your house. Look at John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. It's a word. So it's the same thing. When you're talking about the Word of Christ dwelling in you, You're saying, I want Jesus Christ to dwell in me. I want him to guide my thoughts, my actions, my speech. It's about a personal relationship with him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in us. So this is the call. If you are a believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the same thing. You're saying, I want to pursue this relationship with Jesus. When you're saying, I want the Word of Christ to dwell in my life, to dwell richly in my life. And so there's two things. The exhortation first is that, yeah, personally, that you guys would take the word of Christ, that you would allow it to dwell in your life, that it would influence and fill your heart and your mind and your speech in your personal life. And secondly, it's that the word of Christ would not just be something that's private, but be something that's for the community, that you would teach it, that you would admonish one another, that you would even correct and rebuke people because you understand the significance of the word of Christ that you would do it in different groups and friendships or whatever it might be because that's how we grow and we dwell in the word of Christ together. That's how God created uh, the church. That's the hope for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your grace in our life, for saving us, raising us up to new life, And then giving us this blueprint here in the Word of Christ for how to live. Father, we are so blessed to be hold your very words in our hands, Lord. And, you know, I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure many of us here are, but, Lord, we take it for granted so many times, Lord. We want to repent. We want to 
ask that you would give us just this heart, this burning desire to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us. And then that we'd be challenged to share the word of Christ, to, to bless others. Because that's how you designed each and every one of us, Lord. So we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word. We love you in Jesus' name and pray. Amen.